Man of Steel, Answers, Insight, Commentary. Episode 21, IMAX Event, Never Ending Anyway. I have so many questions. Then, of course, there's the question on everyone's mind. Then I'll ask the obvious question. Start asking questions. You're the answer, son. Welcome to Man of Steel, Answers, Insight, Commentary. I'm your Man of Steel apologist, Dr. Awkward. I cover a mosaic of topics for fans who love discussing the Man of Steel and the DC Cinematic Universe. Together, we'll endeavor to answer the questions, criticisms, and controversies raised by Man of Steel and those eagerly anticipating the DCCU. This episode, I relate my experience attending the IMAX event. I tried to put the teaser's reception into context... I'll apply classic Superman philosophy to the DCCU, and I'll give my analysis of the IMAX exclusive footage. This podcast dives deep into the DC Cinematic Universe to answer the critics and the confused. This show is not meant to convert anybody, but to celebrate the films that will make up the DCCU. Reasonable minds will differ, but this is a show for fans who love Man of Steel and who love to chew their food. When it rains, it pours. Not only did we get a high-def online teaser, but we got new IMAX posters, an IMAX theater screening, and several new looks at the Trinity's costumes and the Batmobile in a Bleacher Report video with close-up B-roll footage. We are 11 months out, and I am way too excited. I figure the internet is flooded with IMAX screening accounts by the time you're listening to this, so I'm going to keep mine short. The crowd was diverse and jovial, and like when you're standing in line at a convention with fellow fans, it's pretty easy to break the ice, and the conversations that we had were all positive. The theater staff were great, and one seated, there was a lot of excitement over getting to see the film for free in IMAX a week early, and a polite scramble for pens in the crowd when I pointed out the fine print on how to redeem the coupon. Not everybody carries a pen to the theater. The trailer played twice, with Zach asking us to pay attention to the IMAX content before the second replay. And despite being quite short, just the scenes that Batman and Superman share together, the difference is appreciable, and the sound was phenomenal. Even if they hadn't generously gifted us IMAX tickets, this experience probably would have sold me on seeing it in IMAX the first time. I think the last episode I said that Zach intends for his films to be rewatched and unpacked, and I got that sense again here when he didn't just replay the footage but wanted us to appreciate certain aspects and so we will as we chew our food we've barely scratched the surface of suicide squad and wonder woman but let's try to finish what's on our plate first the additional scene can only really be called a mere flash perhaps less than five seconds if that we see superman looking up and getting a determined expression on his face then a wider shot of him breaking into a dead sprint then we cut to the armored batman rising to to run and then in a final wide shot the two are flying at each other superman about to do what is literally called the superman punch in combative sports and it cuts to black before they collide a clash of titans it was neat not visually arresting really but profound from a story standpoint and intriguing from an analytical one i'll admit that my mind was churning with questions about why superman was running trying to gauge or calculate his relative speed memorize his demeanor 
summon answers and apologetics for half-baked questions percolating in my head, and it wasn't until we were driving home that it was pointed out to me why what we saw was so special. We were among the first to see a live-action Superman and Batman side-by-side in the same shot for a major motion picture. It was pointed out to me that their meeting in the normal trailer is the world's first taste of the two on screen together, but in every shot one character has his back to the audience, looming in the foreground, while the other is in the background, and vice versa. Only in the IMAX footage do we, for a split second, see them together as equals, despite their conflict. And despite a preference for Superman, to me, this seems right. I don't know if the two will ever be best friends, but in the pantheon of superhero history, they are the two biggest, most iconic, and most significant superheroes, the world's finest. And for now, and in this context, I'm okay with a certain amount of equal footing. We'll talk more about it when we break down that extra IMAX footage, but Batman and Superman have each carried the torch of pop culture relevance for superheroes and DC Comics through the years. Superman, of course, started it off in a multimedia explosion that would forever give name to the genre. Whenever we call or consider Batman a superhero, he's bearing Superman's namesake, and the first time these characters ever met in any medium was in March of 1945, on The Adventures of Superman, radio program. 71 years later, they'd meet again for the first time on film in March of 2016. When the golden age dwindled, the only heroes to successfully survive without long periods of dormancy were Superman and Batman. Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Green Arrow didn't go dormant, but their survival was more tenuous. Their historic team-up in the world's finest comics would make the titular series synonymous with their pairing as they took over the title for well over a hundred issues and several decades. The success of their partnership was partially responsible for inspiring the creation and publication of the Justice League of America to team up DC's reinvigorated, surviving, revived, or reimagined characters. Superman and Batman would continue through the years, trading off and carrying TV and film and shaping comics with landmark works. The Dark Knight Returns redefines what fans wanted from Batman and the relationship between Superman and Batman. Man of Steel acted as a crystalline reboot of Superman's origins. Superman's death, return, and marriage were pop culture milestones. If it weren't for Batman, we would never have Bruce Timm's DC animated universe. And if it weren't for Batman's billion-dollar box office, we wouldn't see this renaissance that allows superhero films to be ambitious films rather than purely poor-quality cash grabs based on brand recognition alone. Together, The Caped Crusader and The Metropolis Marvel can and have covered a wide berth of ideas, issues, settings, and stories to suit nearly anyone's taste. In their seven decades of shared history, both characters have had extensive evolutions and exhibited their robust range of sensibilities. You can have a light-hearted take on the Dark Knight, or you can have a serious take on the Big Blue Boy Scout. It's a little funny that people often say that Batman is supposed to be dark and serious, and that Superman isn't, based on Tim Burton's 1988 film. But between 1986 and now, today, Superman has had more valid, serious, straight-faced takes tackling the character than Batman did in his definitive 1988 movie. 
In the past 30 years, Serious Superman is certainly at least one completely legitimate take on the character. Similar to Batman, you might say that it was always there in the DNA of Superman's character to be explored, evidenced by the unexpectedly dark monikers like A Strange Visitor from Another Planet or The Last Son of Krypton. And since we've already got our big screen Boy Scout, so why not another take from the last three decades or so of that nearly 80-year history? Yet in all that time, and with all that media in their many variations and portrayals, we have never seen Batman and Superman on screen together in a major live-action motion picture. And in my childhood, I always expected or imagined that if we did, the result might be something more along the lines of the movie versions of Mortal Kombat or Super Mario Brothers than something as visually faithful and sincere as what we've seen from Batman v Superman. Let's not take that for granted. We are seeing Batman and Superman together in IMAX over seven decades after their inception. This is historic, epic, and awesome. I know it's been two years since the announcement, with under a year to go until release. And in all that time, one can easily forget how remarkable that is. So why not just take a beat? to be grateful and in awe that you are alive in this moment in time to enjoy the coming together of icons that will outlive us. It's not a guarantee of quality or that the film will be to your taste, but it's still exciting. By the end of the film, Batman and Superman are going to be teammates. And even if they're not the best of friends or brothers, they're going to and can work together, which is a wonderful bit of meta-commentary for fandom right now. We don't need to see eye-to-eye -eye on everything. We can have profound differences in opinion or approach, but we can still respect one another and come together. The friendship of Superman and Batman is one of the greatest examples in fiction of friendship and ideals transcending differences in opinion. Reasonable minds differing, but each still trusting the other with his life. Yeah, they're going to fight in this film, but as a prelude to teaming up. And who knows? It's possible that this film replaces Rocky and Apollo as the go-to pop culture reference to that effect. There is bonding in battle, but I'm not going to get into the psychology of effort justification and cognitive dissonance and so on this episode. Rather, let's talk about some of the reactions to the teaser. No one smiles. It's so dark, and they're just leveraging our childhoods at the end. We get no sense of story. We have no idea who the characters are or what motivates them. They all seem stressed out. No one is having fun. There are no jokes. They made those changes just for the sake of change. Some things seem like they're there just to stir controversy. And it does nothing to address my concerns about the last film. Where's the heart? Of course, all those comments were about the first Episode 7 teaser trailer for The Force Awakens, which dropped after Thanksgiving of last year. The empty hollowness of these criticisms echoes many of the judgments we're hearing about the Batman v Superman teaser. Yes, some rejected the change to the lightsaber, or projected confusion about Boyega's skin color, or groaned about the title. However, many of the other statements have been leveled at Batman v Superman, and they sound insane if you apply them to the first episode 7 teaser, even if they're true. Why are some looking for fully rendered characters or exhaustive explanations or detailed plot exposition in a teaser? Why are people looking for joy or jokes in a teaser? 
Considering how bitter some are over the tone of Man of Steel's first teaser when compared to the film, could an inspirational teaser possibly be received as inspirational? Rather, it makes much more sense to bridge what we know and create intrigue for what we don't. The Star Wars teaser did that with the Falcon shot at the end and the familiar audio, while the Batman v Superman teaser used Superman's story to frame it. With that perspective, it seems much ado about nothing at this point, but rather Rather than tackle every complaint, issue, or criticism that's been raised about the teaser, all of which are likely to fade away with a subsequent teaser, or more context, or more facts about the story, I'm just going to give you seven short reasons to enjoy the teaser. Reason number one, we got one. Remember that the first Age of Ultron teaser dropped at the end of October, or basically six months before the release of the film. Instead, at 11 months out, we got a teaser, rather than having to wait another half a year before seeing anything. Reason number two, we got substance. The episode 7 teaser that we just talked about contained only 39 seconds of actual footage and two lines of ambiguous dialogue coming from an unknown character. We'll go into more detail in our breakdown, but the BVS trailer gave us 77 seconds of footage, way more context to work with, and several lines of dialogue from multiple characters in the film. In one sense, we know nothing, but we were given much more to let our imaginations go wild with than with that first Star Wars teaser. Reason number three, or we got questions. In supplying all that substance, we were properly filled with questions and intrigue, wanting to know more, exactly as intended with a teaser. Reason number four, we got answers. Maybe not to the questions raised by the teaser, but certainly to some of the questions that we've been asking ourselves. What would Batman or Luther sound like? How does the world view Superman? What has he been doing since? The teaser touches on these things. Reason number five, we got chills, genuine emotion, unease, dread, awe, fear, and so on. The trailer actually successfully manipulated our emotions to get us to feel things. Like the TFA teaser, there is an intentional sense of dread in this teaser. Sadly, some confuse the emotion that the teaser was attempting to provoke with the emotions and the tone of the entire film. The unease you feel was intended by the filmmakers. We went into that extensively in our last episode. Reason number six, we got surprise. The entire approach to Man of Steel was calculated to cause people to stop taking Superman for granted and as a given. The scenes that people assumed would be in there or that would go a certain way instead shocked and surprised, leaving many to reevaluate what assumptions that they may have been taking for granted with Superman. It didn't mean that your positions had to change, but it made everyone reflect on who Superman is, what that means, and that debate is still going on two years after the film's release. The teaser trailer contains many confronting images to make us ask ourselves those same challenging questions of who Superman is and who Batman is, and in and through that process, we better understand and appreciate them, and we stop taking these icons for granted. Finally, reason number seven, we got a world. The celebrity voices aren't in there just for the value of their fame, which arguably is nominal if you didn't recognize them. However, the content of what they are saying and the recognition of who they are is another window for us to connect their world to ours. It's another way to connect with these heroes who before, who have only lived on a page in a distant dimension so different from our own. Clearly, our worlds are diverging. 
but the filmmakers aren't completely letting go of our real world just yet. So some quick metrics on the visuals for your consideration. When you break it all down by duration, it's convenient that everything breaks down into factors of seven. The teaser is two minutes and 13 seconds, or 133 seconds long. 19 times seven. If you put all the Superman footage together and take out the statue, Superman gets roughly seven seconds of footage and the statue gets about 35 seconds. Bruce Wayne staring at the empty suit is about 14 seconds and the Batman footage following is another 14 seconds. Finally, Batman squaring off with Superman gets seven seconds. So if you're looking roughly for proportions, we got one part Superman, five parts Superman statue, two parts Bruce, two parts Batman, and one part Batman and Superman together. That would make 11 out of 19 proportional parts of the teaser as visually substantive, and the remaining eight parts as gliding over logos, social media hashtags, credits, pure darkness, and the like. That means 77 seconds of footage, or 42 seconds of footage if you subtract the statue. So in absolute terms, and proportionately, we got more in this teaser than in the first TFA teaser. Let's put all that into perspective. We got maybe about 40 seconds of a two-hour-plus film, which is less than 1% of the film, and closer to half of 1% of the film. If you think back to the first Man of Steel teaser released in July of 2012, it actually had three shots that didn't even end up in the final movie. A shot of the boat named the Regan Alicia, Clark petting a dog, and an aerial shot over a misty rural landscape, likely Smallville. You may also remember lines like the I won't betray him you already have, which also didn't make the final film. So we've seen about half a percent of this film or less with limited context or explanation. So perhaps we can all relax our judgments some and not be so certain about what Batman v Superman is or will be based on this teaser. And that goes for any of my pronouncements as well. Just assume that anytime I say what Batman Batman v Superman will be, there's an unspoken disclaimer asking you to recognize that I'm speculating and far from certain in my positions. I like to keep an open mind, and I love getting confronted with new evidence or ideas that force me to rethink my positions. And so with so little to work with, it's a little like watching some people look at a Rorschach test formed by a random series of ink blots and being 100% certain in their interpretation. There's no need to be that certain at this stage. And speaking of that, here's a quick clip from Superman The Neverending Battle, which we'll be talking about later in this episode, but here's post-crisis battle. Batman and Superman weighing in on absolute answers and extreme certainty. Never underestimate the draw of fanaticism, Clark. There are unfortunately many, many people who will swear absolute loyalty to anyone who can give them absolute answers. I know, I know. It's the one thing I wish I could change about human beings, this terrible yearning for extreme certainty. <laughs> Crazy, right? That's arguably the epitome of Superman with the perfect moral compass still questioning absolute answers and extreme certainty. We will come back to this, but for now I'm going to shift gears and talk about my reception to the teaser. We've already discussed about how the long lead up to this point made it easy to take something 
so historic for granted. But I wanted to talk a little bit about nostalgia in relation to Star Wars, Superman, and let that bring us back to the never-ending battle. I'm not going to talk too much about the leak. Uh, Irrespective of its impact, Batman v Superman's metrics are still tracking well in the shadow of the Star Wars juggernaut. However, because these two were seen so close together and Star Wars was seen first, I imagine it impacted how many people received the BVS teaser. Even if it's something that should be judged on its own merits, media usually isn't experienced in a vacuum, and we're all subject to outside influences, internal biases, and so on. I know it affected mine, so maybe I'll just tell you my story, my reaction, and then see if it's applicable more generally. So as you might know, I was out of town for business, and when I'm on trips, one of the things I sometimes like to do is check out the friendly local comic book store. So on Wednesday after work, I checked out a store and picked up a few different things, including some of the issues of DC's Convergence event, like the return of Wally West or the issues with post-crisis Superman. This isn't a comic book review show, so I won't get into it, but let's just say it didn't really scratch the itch. That same day, I secured my ticket for the IMAX screening of the BVS trailer, having full faith that the WB would release that trailer online shortly thereafter, to be poured over and analyzed repeatedly. Thursday, I'm working away for something that evening, but allowed myself glimpses at the Star Wars Celebration stream, and of course, stopped to give my full attention to the second teaser trailer. Like I said, I'd been away from home, away from my family for half a month, working intensely, and I'm away from the comforts of home, and I'm hit with this teaser made out of wave after wave of nostalgia. The music of John Williams, something speeding across the desert, the familiar sounds of the TIE fighters and the blasters, the lines from Return of the Jedi, seeing my old friend R2-D2 again, seeing Chewie and smiling hand, and of course, the line, Chewie. We're home. Chewie, we're home. I was genuinely moved. I probably watched it about two or three more times and had a powerful urge to call my family or to engage in the online buzz, but I had work to do and went right back to it. That evening, I had my final meeting with the clients, and then we had dinner and so on, so I honestly had no idea about the Batman v Superman leak until I was back at my hotel, but by then I was tired enough to wait. If I wasn't tired or had the trip back home to deal with, I don't know that I would have held out, but I did, and the WB hadn't released it by the time I got onto the plane, so I had resigned myself to seeing it Monday night. So Convergence made me yearn for the past, and the Force Awakens teaser leaned heavily on the past, and during my flight, I load up an audiobook from Graphic Audio, Superman, The Never-Ending battle produced in 2008, but it's adapted from Roger Stern's 2004 novel of the same name. That means that longtime Superman writer Stern was drawing from the DC Comics continuity around 2003 or 2004. That's before Chuck Austin, Identity Crisis, Infinite Crisis, and Birthright. And it's after nearly two decades of continuity had been built up since the last crisis, It's a surprisingly narrow period of time. But when people talk about Superman at his height, before the deconstruction of the DCU, before the injection of compromise necessitated by bringing more realistic controversies into the world, when the DCU was nearly at its largest and richest, before the death toll started to kill off characters, this is the time in the period that I think of. It was by no means a perfect time, but allow me my rose-colored retrospective. Superman, the never-ending battle 
is a six-hour soak in that wonderful window of time. I load up Superman The NeverEnding Battle, and I'm taken to a time where everyone looks up to Superman, where he saves the day and is admired and honored, where he has fun catching an armed robber with the Flash, and he has a heart-to-heart with Wally West as they reminisce about Barry and run from Canada to their shared home state of Kansas. Superman pops in on his folks for some blackberry pie, and he ends the night in the arms of his loving wife Lois, reviewing the events of the day. The next morning, Lois expresses some jealousy at Clark's ability to churn out copy, but he reminds her of her accolades and accomplishments, and that he needs superpowers just to keep up with the incredible Lois Lane. And she says he always knows the right thing to say. There absolutely is an appeal to Superman living that perfect life where it can be taken for granted that he will always say and do the right thing. It's warm and it's comforting, and I got a pang of nostalgia listening to it during my flight. And again, I was moved. And that's my state of mind when we land. And, of course, the Batman v Superman trailer drops while I'm waiting at baggage claim. Rather than wait to get home, I watched that thing buffer over my mobile data connection on a phone screen, and I had a mixture of three simultaneous reactions. First, I'm excited and happy at all the realistic points that they were raising. I can't believe that they're doing this, and I'm going to have so much to analyze when this comes out. Second, I had a slightly anxious feeling, not at how serious and grave the points were, but how I knew that they were going to be received by some. The teaser showed that they were continuing with the ideas of Man of Steel, and I knew that there were some who, for whatever reason, expected Batman and Superman to do a 180 away from Man of Steel, and I expected that they would complain loudly and rain on everyone else's excitement. And third and finally, I really noted that I didn't feel warm and comforted or confident. I wasn't feeling like I did watching the Force Awakens trailer or listening to Roger Stern's The NeverEnding Battle. It made me feel slightly uneasy, which seemed odd because the controversy surrounding Man of Steel never bothered me. But as I reflected on it driving home from the airport, I realized that the first 88 second teaser for The Force Awakens took much of the same tactic. I know you've watched it, and if you think back, it also relied on generating an intentional sense of dread and unease. The music was ominous. The images were disorienting glimpses. The voiceover was dark and menacing. And everyone we see seems to be anxiously on the move. We didn't see the heart of Star Wars and none of the classic cast. And not a single joke was uttered or a smile cracked. There was little to no semblance of plot or story, simply a conveyance of atmosphere and a first look at some of the principal characters. More than anything, it was meant to drive intrigue, questions, and interest. And even with a scant amount of content, it was not without its own ridiculous controversies related to the ignition of a certain new lightsaber or the color of one character's skin. And by those metrics, the BVS trailer is comparable to what we saw with the first Force Awakens teaser. In a establishing our characters, a sense of the world, the atmosphere, and more. However, the Batman v Superman teaser came on the tail of an out-and-out comfort food with the second Force Awakens teaser, presented to a crowd of rabid fans who paid to be there, utterly steeped in nostalgia and with shots that showed the benefits of months of post-production since that 88-second tease. There are still questions and intrigue in the new Force Awakens teaser, doubtless, but the elements that produced that emotional response in me were mostly nostalgic. 
The goal of the second Star Wars teaser was completely to comfort the audience, to assure them that Star Wars is in good hands, and to remind them of the good old things that would go on to grand new adventures in this story. And so I explain that all because it gives us context on how we receive things. You can have difficulty enjoying even your favorite food if you've just finished getting stuffed with a Thanksgiving feast. And here, between the leak and coming on the heels of Star Wars in the midst of Star Wars celebration, the experience is different than what Warner Brothers intended. I can only speak for myself, but I know initially I unfairly compared a first look at something 11 months out to a Star Wars teaser with an entirely different tone and purpose and timeline. We are entitled to whatever feelings or preferences we have, but if we want them to be understood by others, we should be careful whenever making comparisons, to be fair to the context. That if you struggle to eat your favorite food after a complete Thanksgiving meal isn't a reflection of how good your favorite food is or how well it was prepared, it relates to the context of your appetite at the time. Certain movies or fads or pop culture phenomenon just happen to come along when the appetite is right or there's been a drought of anything comparable. It doesn't necessarily speak to the intrinsic quality of the thing, only that it didn't align with the appetite of the time. A Lifetime of Works by Kafka, Dickinson, Poe, Vermeer, and Rembrandt were only truly recognized after these writers and artists had passed. On one hand, it's perfectly fine to experience nostalgia and feel sentimental longing or wistful affection for Superman's more idyllic past. On the other, we have to remember that we're putting on rose-colored glasses when we do that. There are many reasons our heroes have become what they are today, and the only certainty is that they will continue to change with us as a culture, or they will be left behind. We are not without modern myths that have faded from the public consciousness because they couldn't or didn't change. We have had our tall tales of Pecos Bill, Paul Bunyan, and John Henry, who were among the most popular of that era and just able to remain recognizable references today. Superman's continual evolution allows him to be a modern myth that we pick up and take with us through time rather than leave him to become ancient, forgotten, or stagnant. As we change, so does he as a reflection of ourselves. We may reminisce and long for the past, but to force Superman to stay there is to banish him to the same fate as Dick Tracy, originally published in 1931, or perhaps Mickey Mouse, to be more of a mascot than a living and engaging character. Whether we like it or not, the times change. Presidential motorcades don't feature open-air limousines anymore, and you can't bring liquids onto airplanes. However, we've strived for and achieved greater tolerance and understanding of how our world works, and we can share information near the speed of light in defiance of censorship, borders, or boundaries. The BVS trailer reflects a world of complexity and nuance, which includes darkness, but that does not mean that the world or the film has made Superman dark. Instead, it reflects the reality that if you are out in the world and you do good, you will face trials and tribulations. The ideal and idyllic Superman that we referenced earlier didn't start out like that. He had to overcome the reaction of the crowd. He had to cope with his alien heritage. He had to turn the contentious Batman into a friend. He had to resolve his feelings about executing the Phantom Zone criminals, and he had to reveal his secret to the woman he loved. He died, he came back to life, he got married, and went through all of that to achieve that life. 
He didn't just step into Metropolis, a paragon exalted above all heroes. He earned that status over the course of 15 years of continuity. Expecting that of Superman in Man of Steel after his first day on the job would be empty and lack the ring of truth. It would be a hollow comfort, and it would make Superman seem more like a lottery winner than a Man of Steel, with a character forged by trial. So the Batman v Superman teaser gives us a context that allows him the trials to be forged. That the teaser acknowledges darkness is in the world doesn't make the world or Superman dark. That's modern Batman's job. (laughs) Even at the height of his standing in the DCU, Superman recognizes that fact in Roger Stern's novel. Killing you would be a terrible waste. After all, we have so very much in common, you and I. Hardly. On the contrary, you are more like me than you realize. We are both men of great power. At times, there have been those who have worshipped you as a living god. I never sought that. Chaos is the natural state of the world, Superman. You squander your power in defense of a people who waste their resources. You foolishly seek to change people by the example of your good works. You're wrong, Cobra. I don't try to change people. I just try to help. Changing is up to them. The aid you render only enables the people you prize so highly to muddle along on the path to oblivion. They continue to cheat and steal and kill. Some of them, yes. But I try to help anyway. History has proven that the good you do one day is wiped out the next. Sometimes. But I believe in doing good anyway. Oh, that is truly madness. No. Paradoxical, maybe. But not madness. Ah, now I understand. The paradoxical commandments. I have read them, of course. If they constitute your creed, then you were right. We do have very little in common. But you are the one who is wrong. You and your pitiful, paradoxical commandments. How on earth can you have faith in such drivel? It's hard sometimes. But then again... How? Superman tore his other arm free and grabbed Cobra with both hands. I'm stronger than you are. Superman's philosophy and moral underpinnings are not dictated by any one writer, but I think it creates an interesting framework for Superman's motivations. I had never heard of the Paradoxical Commandments, but it's essentially a poem written by Kent M. Keith in order to motivate student leaders who tended to give up quickly when facing difficulty or failure during the tumultuous cultural revolution of the 60s. He says, I saw a lot of young people go out into the world and do what they thought was right and good and true, only to come back a short time later discouraged or embittered because they got a lot of negative feedback or nobody appreciated them, or they failed to get the results that they hoped for. I told them that if they were going to change the world, they had to really love people, and that if they did, that love would sustain them. I told them that they couldn't be in it for the fame or the glory. I said that if they did what was right, good, and true, they would find meaning and satisfaction, and that meaning and satisfaction would be enough. If they had meaning, they didn't need the glory. 
So what are the paradoxical commandments? Since being written in 1968, many variations have been published, including one version hung on Mother Teresa's wall. But of the versions I saw, the one that I liked the best goes like this. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest, you will be vulnerable. Be honest anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do. Help people anyway. The good you do will often be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world your best and it will ask for more. Give the world your best anyway. Well, like I said, there are many versions and variations, and you can look it up for the full story, but I hope that you can see the paradox and its applicability to Superman. The paradox is that there are ills in this world, and that doing good will reap you sorrow. However, if you know anything about men and women of character who weren't content with the status quo and who lived extraordinary lives, despite their own goodness and good works, their lives were trying and hard. Whether Eva Perone, Rosa Parks, Joan of Arc, their good Marshall, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther, Mother Teresa, Mahatma Gandhi, or Martin Luther King Jr. Whether we're talking about history, religion, or legend, time and time again, we see that those who dedicate their lives to good should expect painful sacrifice, persecution, and trials. It's one of the reasons that Man of Steel resonates with me a little more on this front than the candy-coated altruism that costs nothing. You don't even need to be an alien with extraordinary powers. In this world, doing good can get you kicked in the teeth. But Dr. Keith's poem asks you to do good anyway despite it all. And that's the complete and real story. Because if you think about it, without context, the commandments could be purely affirmative. Love people, be kind, succeed, be honest, build, be happy, help people, do good, and give your best. But what the poem reveals is the trick isn't knowing what to do. It's doing it in the face of what happens in the real world, something that Batman v Superman is going to explore. And that spirit of doing good anyway is captured perfectly in Superman man's satisfaction in the never-ending battle, something that gives us hope rather than being viewed as the torment of Sisyphus. Some other time, let's come back and apply this in more detail to Man of Steel, Batman, Jonathan Kent, and more, but I think I've rambled on this point long enough, and we have yet to get to our title fight. I think I'm going to take five, and we'll talk about the footage when I get back, but in the spirit of anyway, courtesy of the Nerdist, here's the Ben Folds Five and Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock performing Do It Anyway. There I was in outer space, passing through a portal that magically closed behind me. Today, I am attending a private gathering of the silly creatures who are performing a musical ritual, which I find fascinating. I shall take many notes and report back soon. Love, your uncle, Traveling Matt. All right, Ben Folds 5. You ready to change rock and roll? On the line, 
risky People love to tear that down Let them try Do it anyway Risk it anyway And if you're paralyzed by a voice in your head It's a standing still that should be scaring you instead Go on and do it anyway Precisely why you'll love the book Do it anyway Do it anyway Tell me what I said I'd never do Tell me what I said I'd never say Read me off a list of the things that I used to not like But now I think are okay Wrong and right Deep down you know it's downright wrong But you're invincible tonight So you do it anyway It's done, you did it Despite your grand attempts The chips are set to fall And all the stories you might weave Cannot negotiate them all And joy I'll drain from her innocent face But you must do it anyway It sucks, but do it anyway Call it surrender, but you know that's a joke And the punchline is you were actually never in control But still, surrender anyway Tell me what you said you'd never do Tell me what you said Thank you, Ro.
Guys, that was okay. I mean, I think we can do better. Uh, let's actually record this one. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know how to use this thing. Five, six, <laughs> seven, eight. Dance your kids away. Worries for another day. Let the music play. Down at Fraggle Rock. Down at Fraggle Rock. Down at Fraggle Rock. Okay, let's really break down these four seconds across four shots. In the first shot, we are close in and we see Superman from the shoulders up. It is a dark and stormy night, but it's clear that we're indoors. I don't recall any quote-unquote battle damage, but he had some hair that had fallen out of place, and I've been told that people are excited by the return of the S-curl or the spit-curl. There's that remembrance and warmth of nostalgia again, and I don't begrudge anybody that gets something from that. If you see Christopher Reeve in Super man's face when he's in the gravity beam of the world engine and that makes you feel good, I'm happy for you. However, I'm sure you're aware that he's not sporting that hairstyle anywhere else in the teaser or when he lands in front of Batman. But we'll see. Who says Superman can only have one hairstyle? In Man of Steel, Clark actually has a few different haircuts and the Batman v Superman hairstyle already seems a little different than Man of Steel. So there's hope if you're holding out for an S-curl. The main thing that we get from the first shot is Superman's expression, which is truly determined. He sort of clenches his jaw and inhales, and it was so, so fast, I don't know if he was angry or what, but I didn't get the impression that he was a reluctant participant. Of course, we don't know the context. If my read of him being determined is accurate, who's to say that he isn't determined to get information out of Batman or to stop Batman without hurting him more than he's determined to fight? Again, this is a teaser, people, and we've seen less than a minute of footage. The next shot pulls back far enough that we have a full body view of Superman and we see Superman running, not flying, floating, or using super speed. And this generates a lot of questions. Is he running because he has to or because he wants to? If he can't fly and the sequence follows the do you bleed line, then what has changed? Of course, this assumes a certain degree of efficacy from Superman, that he wants to do his best and maybe he doesn't. Maybe the scene simply looked cool and for that split second, Snyder and the fight choreographer all agree that Superman running without super speed or flying was the right visual choice. But to explore some of the other possibilities, let's say Superman wants to be effective. Is it reasonable to assume that he'd use super speed or flight? I think so. From Man of Steel, we've seen what Superman's go-to move is at this range, and it's basically variations on flying tackles. He does try to take a swing at Feora and Zod, but those attempts were largely unsuccessful. Man of Steel does a good job of showing flight as second nature once he gains it. That doesn't make it impossible that he'd choose to run, but flying does seem to be his preference. We don't know how much time has elapsed since Man of Steel, and it's possible that Superman has leveled up his fighting technique, but I don't think so. With the Kryptonians gone, who would he need fighting techniques against? I'm not excluding the possibility, but I'm inclined to go with the old analogy of Superman as a fireman, that first responder who rescues you, and Batman as a policeman who actively patrols to stop 
stop criminals. With a policeman, it's more natural to think of martial arts as being a part of the training for the job. However, with a fireman, boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu don't necessarily spring to mind. Now, if he wants to fly, and he can, but doesn't, why not? Well, we can play mix and match with some of the insights that we've gained in our past episodes to formulate a way that Batman might clip Superman's wings or suppress his speed. We've discussed in the past how Kryptonians seem to emit a field while flying. You can see it when Superman first takes flight and the snow swirls around his fist. You can also see it when Zod's gauntlet floats in the air and in a couple other places in the movie. Well, anything that generates a field like that is arguably something that can be detected and measured. And if we borrow from John Byrne's Man of Steel and put one of Superman's many interests at stake, like the lives of innocents, his secret identity, etc., then Batman could show Superman a detector tied to a detonator that goes off if Superman uses any power that generates a field, like strength, super speed, or heat vision. Of course, if Batman has that much power over Superman's will, then why does he need to fight him to get what he wants? In Burns' story, he wanted Superman's cooperation, so they didn't need to fight. Here, if the hostages are what control Superman, then why wouldn't Batman just force a surrender? Well, we don't know. Perhaps there's a reason or a possibility, but I think that anything controlling Superman only based on his interests doesn't account for why he's fighting. It can be part of the reason, but not all of it. It can explain why Superman doesn't incinerate Batman from the sky, drop a rocket on his head, or crumple him into a ball in an instant, but it doesn't necessarily explain them running to punch each other. So I'm inclined to believe that Superman can't fly in that shot. So far, there are two things that we know that can do that to Superman while he's conscious. Because remember from the film that we've seen him knocked out of the air and lose control. The first is obviously Kryptonian atmosphere. When Superman tries to take on the world engine, there's a short sequence where he flies through a cloud of particulate and loses his ability to fly. As he tumbles from the sky, he coughs the atmosphere out of his lungs and regains the ability to fly. The second time Superman is unable to fly is after taking on the world engine. Superman is so exhausted he has to recharge before he can make it to Metropolis. So his reserves were brought low enough that Superman couldn't even stand up until he recharged. We might be able to come up with ways where Superman has been drained of his power or has some sort of exposure to Kryptonian atmosphere. Regarding the latter, however, let's not forget that Lois could not survive aboard the Black Zero without wearing a helmet with a breather, and here it appears that Batman's suit is not airtight. Well, the obvious go-to would be kryptonite, but if so, apparently it isn't so debilitating that it allows Batman to impose his will upon Superman without fighting. This isn't a case of Superman crumpling and falling to his knees before Luthor's kryptonite ring, or being unable to take a necklace off his neck, or being staggered by a mere sliver of glowing meteor rock. So there seems to be more going on here than following the mere tradition of kryptonite. The effects may be different than what we know or what we expect, however I'm holding out hope that there is no kryptonite. I've discussed my reasons why in the past, but part of the reason is also because I wouldn't mind seeing a really clever plan that's totally unique to Batman. I'm a Superman fan, but if Batman is going to have a fighting chance, I'd love to see that chance stem from his character as intelligent, prepared, but also daring. Something worthy of Superman and worthy of Batman. Kryptonite is definitely something easy and intuitive for the audience at large, but it's also something that doesn't really take the world's greatest detective to deploy. If someone has an express weakness, I don't 
think you get any creativity points for bringing their weakness into battle. So I'd be really interested to see if they develop a game plan for Batman that's clever enough to earn the respect of even die-hard Superman fans. Bonus points if the plan has attributes that make it reasonably exclusive to Batman, so that not every villain can use it henceforth as their plan. Most will acknowledge when something is ingenious, even if put forth by your competitor or opponent, unless they're too bitter to recognize it. In that respect, I know that my expectations are unrealistically high, when I think that we've yet to see a plan of that caliber in all their history together but I'm keeping an open mind until we learn otherwise. If you've got a brilliant Batman-level contingency plan for the Man of Steel that doesn't require rewriting the story as is, or introducing new rules like kryptonite magic or previously unseen technology, definitely write in so that I can share it on the show. In the next shot, we see Batman running towards Superman. And so we've thought a little bit about this situation from Superman's perspective, how he might hold back in the gravest extreme, but he doesn't seem like the kind of person that punches people unprovoked. What about Batman's perspective? Well, we don't know. Some variations of Batman don't need an excuse to fight, and those variations enjoy fighting as an extension of testing themselves. Other variations are more in line with Superman's traditional philosophy and use only the bare minimum of force. If this Batman takes his cues from DKR, it's possible that Batman is a bit cruel and enjoys inflicting pain. It's difficult to reconcile his line in the teaser as purely utilitarian, unless he believes he can actually intimidate Superman with his words. So this Batman may not be the cold, dispassionate, and logical fighter in all instances, but more like the one who wanted to make the leader of the mutants eat garbage, only to get wrecked before returning with a cooler head and to deliver that quotable line, you don't get it, this isn't a mud hole, it's an operating table, and I'm the surgeon. We may get the berserker or the surgeon or both. The push and pull of what the filmmakers present and what's in our heads is how the icon gets shaped over time. He doesn't have to be calculating every time, even if that's my preference and experience. Even if Batman is out of his depth, I don't think he's so batty that he'd run at a fully powered Superman and expect to prevail unless he had something up his sleeve. Either Superman has to be powered down somewhat or in some way, and or Batman believes that his suit can bring him up enough to justify the collision. Batman is arguably reckless and insane and self-destructive and crazy and... Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, it'd be suicidal to try to fight Superman on even terms without some contrivance to help out. But I think I've just talked myself out of believing that Batman never acts suicidally. We've done a number of analyses on Kryptonian armor throughout the show, but one thing that I failed to raise was the extension of Kryptonian helmet technology. That is something that is clearly man-portable, considering Lois could wear one with ease. And it also has the ability to generate a field that with stood several strikes from Superman at his angriest. Replicating some aspect of that technology or research would put you in the range of being able to survive Superman some, especially if he's holding back or powered down. So the fact that they're flying at one another in the last shot on seemingly equal terms gives us a little insight into how the fight might be approached by the filmmakers. We know that they're not, for this fight, pandering to our inclinations as fans, where Superman drops Batman in an instant in an uncharacteristic fashion. Nor is Batman springing a trap that results in his instant and overwhelming victory over Superman. No, 
we are going to get a fight. And between Zack Snyder's mutual love for these characters, about a decade of experience with visual effects, the fight choreographer who worked on Snyder's films, as well as the slick action in the Kingsman service, and the visual effects houses pouring their blood, sweat, tears, hours, lives, and souls into this once-in-a-lifetime, first-time-in-history fight for the ages, it is going to be a good fight. From an action standpoint, I don't really have any doubts. The specific shot didn't seem like something that I'd want as desktop wallpaper right now, but we're talking about a tiny glimpse into a fight card which people are passionately working on in post-production as we speak. So to have a fight between these two on that scale, there's gonna have to be some compromise, but that's a good thing. Superman probably isn't at full power or going full out to come down to Batman's level, and Batman isn't going to be his true self by wearing armor and staging elaborate contingencies to bring himself up towards Superman. I imagine they'll stage it so Batman has the edge in technique, technology, and tactics, but Superman will have sheer strength, spirit, and stamina. Both are still in character, but not in their purest form. Before this teaser dropped, when you closed your eyes and imagined Batman, I doubt you pictured him in a suit armored to this level. And when you think of Superman's powers and fighting, I doubt running at somebody to punch them ever crossed your mind. The reason this is good is because it quarantines this fight as being its own and special case. Superman as a character can still have his full suite of powers at complete strength outside of this battle, and Batman isn't faced with having to wear this suit of armor for all time, just because he wore it once. And so we get our furious fight, but but also the preservation of our ideal versions of the character when they shake hands, make up, and start that Justice League. It's just my guess, but I can imagine the fight ending in an ambiguous stalemate, which will leave fans debating forever who actually quote-unquote won that fight. And if they do that, I will laugh and laugh. Of course, I'm just speculating here. Let me know how you see this going down. So much more to talk about, but I have got to wrap this up. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is the first time that I've trashed an entire episode. My initial reaction recording on the drive home didn't have great audio. There was a lot of road noise that contained way too much giggling from my passenger and ended up being more about the awesome people we met and talked to at the event instead of the event itself or the content. I'm happy to have that recording for posterity, but I figured I'd get you guys something a little more evergreen for the podcast. We're backlogged in the mailbag, but we'll probably do an all-mailbag episode soon, so keep sending in your questions, insights, and comments. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, check it out. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe if you like what you see. I still have a few video ideas, but no time to do them, but if you've got any easy ideas, feel free to pitch them. Okay, I think I've rambled on long enough. Here are some shows I suggest you check out if you want to extend your enjoyment of the Superman mythos. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring Superman and Batman, Golden Age Superman, 
the Superman Fan Podcast. The DC Comics Presents Show. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. It's Superman. The Schuster Herald Podcast. The Kara's Herald Podcast. Superman Forever Radio. Superman Lives. Up, up, and away. Cadmus to Crisis, a Superboy podcast. The Amateur Steel, a John Henry Allen's podcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Russell Bragg, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Bob Fisher, Chris Moe, Mario Benessi, Drew Wintermeyer, David Byer, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Thanks so much for listening. I just love discussing this stuff, and if you've been sticking with me, hopefully you do too. I'm genuinely grateful for each and every listener, and hope you'll join us at manofsteelanswers.com. That way, if you've got questions you want answered, or insights that you want to share, or commentary to make, you can post in the comments for all your like-minded apologists to see. Or you can email me at mosaic at manofsteelanswers.com. If you like what you heard, please review the show on iTunes or Stitcher, and subscribe. This is Dr. Awkward, your DC Cinematic Universe apologist, signing off. See you next time. You're the answer, son. You must get pretty tired of stuff like this. Sometimes I'm surprised you haven't just taken over by now. Taken over what? The world. Everything. Haven't you ever considered running things yourself? No. That's not the way I was brought up. Yeah, me neither. But let me play devil's advocate for a moment. Seriously, it's not like the world's leaders have been doing all that great a job. Do you mean to sit there and tell me that, with all the power you have, you've never given it any thought? All right. I won't say that I never gave it any thought. But not for any great length of time. Never very seriously. Even if I wanted that kind of authority, and I don't, it wouldn't work. There would still be despots like Cobra. And besides, I'm not immortal. Let's say that I set myself up as world dictator. It wouldn't last. Whatever I accomplished would come apart once I died. You think so? It's the history of the world. Warlords die and empires crumble. I've always thought that George Washington set the best example for how to run things. He could probably have become a king, you know. I'll have to take your word for it. Junior year history class was a long time ago, and all I remember about Washington is the father of our country stuff. From all that I've read, he was a fascinating man. He had two opportunities to establish an American dynasty and passed on both of them. Remember, Kyle, Washington was the great general, the hero of the revolution. At the end of that war, a lot of colonists would have accepted him as king. They were used to answering to a monarch, after all. But all he wanted to do was go home to Mount Vernon. Even George III was impressed. The King of England? Really? Absolutely. When King George heard that Washington planned to retire to Mount Vernon, the old king said, if he does that, he will be the greatest man in the world. But that's exactly what Washington did. Twice. After the Constitution was adopted, he accepted the country's call to come back and become its first president. But then he stepped down after just two terms in office, ensuring a peaceful transition to a newly elected leader. He willingly walked away from the office, establishing one of the first great precedents of the Republic. He believed Kyle. 
He believed in the idea that power belongs to the people, not to their leaders. And that is true greatness. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And so was Washington. Thanks, Superman. I read stuff like that in school, but the books always made it seem so dead and dry. I was lucky. I had good teachers. Ever heard of Blaise Pascal? Pascal? Didn't he have something to do with triangles? Among other things. He was a 17th century scientist and mathematician, but he was also something of a philosopher. There was a passage from Pascal's papers that's always stayed with me. He wrote that justice without strength is helpless. Strength without justice is tyrannical. Then it's up to us to help keep justice strong. That it is, Lantern. That it is. You're the answer, son.